today we're going to finish up our short study of Genesis. We, we have uh, taken on the, the task of looking at really the, the first huge segment of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11. And when I uh, planned this uh, over a year ago as I uh, spent time with the Lord just seeking his direction in it, I felt led to go ahead and go through Genesis chapter 12, the first section, which really gets into the next big division of Genesis, but it's the story of Abram and Abram's call. And uh, then I felt like at some point we would come back to Genesis and finish out the book. The Lord uh, provided clarity and redirection because next year we're going to go through the entire Bible, uh, Genesis 1 through Revelation. And we are, so we're not going to come back in a few months to Genesis 12. Uh, we're going to go to, we're going to be looking at Colossians after Easter, and then we're going to be moving into, where are we headed, San? I can't even remember, and I can't hear her, so. First Peter, yes, we're going to be looking at the life. You know, uh, this is what happens when you go on vacation for a week. Your mind just kind of changes gears. But we're going to be looking today at a famous passage of Abram's call and God's promise. This is the origination of God's covenant with Abram. I want to illustrate this by something that the Lord did in my life this week and how he led. The the title of the sermon is, How Do We Respond When God Calls? And we're going to use Abraham's life to give us some direction and example of that. When my mom passed away, uh, or when dad, actually, when dad passed away in 2015, the Lord, I felt at that point, leading me to start a, uh, a blog. I called it Mountains in Ministry. And on that, I would post some things about my mom, things about my dad, uh, things about my faith. I used that blog to post some stories uh, uh, over the years. I'm not real active on it, but periodically I I would post devotional things on there. And uh, But I felt last year the Lord leading me a little bit of a different direction along with that blog to to do something that I've been encouraged to do for really, gosh, over about 30 years. I've had people for years since I've started going camping, uh, and I would take photos, I'd have people come up to me and say, you ought, to, you ought to sell your pictures. And I'm like, I'm not a professional photographer. I'm a pastor, okay? Uh, that's not my job. There's no way I can get into all of that. Uh, there's too much work in that. And, and yet during COVID, the Lord gave me an opportunity to work on some of those. So if you come into my office now, you'll, you'll, it looks like my own little personal art gallery. It's because I love mountains and I love the wildlife and of course if you if you see me on Facebook it's just me I'll put ministry stuff out there and I put pictures out there of my family or those kind of pictures so over the 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 last couple weeks in particular well starting back in November the Lord was leading me to go ahead and get prepared to to kind of uh, do that as a hobby put my photography out there and and, and sell it and uh, people have encouraged me to do that all along, but I, man, I struggle with that. And I even hesitate telling this story today because I am not here to sell pictures to the church, but I want you to hear the story of faith. So last week we get back from our trip and I felt, I felt like dad was speaking to me and, and dad had a little saying that I won't use from the pulpit, but it basically said, it's either time to, it's either time to do something or, or leave the throne. That's a clean way of, of summarizing what dad would say. Uh, I had, some of y'all have been around a dad like mine, haven't you? Uh, so I, I said, okay, Lord, I, on Wednesday, something came across my Facebook page and it was a, 
it was kind of a, a business way to get involved and, and get this done. I'd actually worked with some uh, one of our accountants in the church and some of our business people back in November to start, but it's just overwhelming. I can't do that. I can't set up a website. I can't do all that stuff. And so this comes up, and so I look into it Wednesday. I'm going to shorten the story now just, just uh, to get to the point. I look into it Wednesday. I actually am on a Zoom call with a sales guy Wednesday afternoon, and I tell the guys, this is something that really, or actually it's Wednesday evening after I got home. This is something that, that I'm interested in. I think the Lord's leading me to move that direction, but you know I'm a pastor. He'd been on my blog site to look at pictures, and he's reading some of the stories. And uh, I said, I'm a pastor. I said, I believe that the, if the Lord's calling me to do this, he'll lead me. And so I said, I'm, I'll call you back in the next two days. So I go down, Susan had supper ready. I go, what a good wife. I go down and, and she's cooked supper after a hard day of work and uh, eat supper with her. And just as we're finishing supper, we're still sitting there and the doorbell rings. I go to the door and it is two solar panel salesmen. Y'all had those guys at your door and, and they start in their spill. Well, I'm going to be really nice to them because one of them reminds me of my nephew who right now works for a roofing contractor out of Houston. And he's a salesman, goes door to door. So I'm going to be nice to the guys. So I start chit-chatting with them. Find out they're from Idaho and they love to hunt and fish. And so one of them showed me pictures of deer that he shot, mule deer he shot up in Idaho. Well, I don't have my phone with him, so I can't show him any pictures. But, but we'd exchange phone numbers. I said, look, get back with me after Easter. I ain't even talking about solar panels, but get back with me after Easter. Come by. If you're still in the area, I'll talk to you about it. So uh, he gives me his phone number. I go and sit down. I'm telling Susan about this. I sent him a picture of my dad's buck that he killed in Colorado back in 1970. One of the largest mule deer bucks killed in Colorado that year. And then I sent him a picture of one of the deer that I had photographed out at the lease. He immediately responds and says, man, that's an incredible buck. I'd love to have a canvas print of that to put on my wall. Do you sell your photography? Now, I'm here to tell you, I have never, I've had people tell me that, like I said earlier, well, you need to be a professional photographer. I'm like, there's professional photographers out there, and I ain't that. I've seen guys work that's way beyond anything that I have, but I've never had anybody tell me or ask me, do you sell that? I want to buy one and put it on my wall. And so my response was, well, not yet. I'm actually working on it today. (laughs) And he said, well, as soon as you're ready, I want to be your first customer. Now, at that point, I told Susan, I said, I think I only have two options because I prayed about it 30 minutes ago and asked God to give me direction. So now I either obey or I don't. It's, it's not about whether, I mean, I, I don't see why. I mean, I'm, <laughs> y'all know this kind of stuff, I, I may lose a lot of money on it, but all I have a choice of right now is obeying or not obeying. I prayed about it, and, and I don't think that you could make that happen. I don't think you could plan that. I don't think you have a solar panel salesman show up at your door and ask to buy one of your pictures right after you've prayed that unless God is at work and he's providing some direction. How am I going to respond when God leads? Well, I called the company the next morning and started getting my website set up and paid a lot of money. Uh, We're in Genesis chapter 12. Our primary text today is going to be Genesis 12, 1 through 9, but I want to read just a little bit of the backstory 
it probably won't be up on screen because I didn't warn them of this. I'm going to read verse uh, chapter 11, 27 following. So just listen. And then when I get to 12, one, you'll see it on the screen. The scripture says, these are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his, Abram's, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai or Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. This is a famous story because if you put yourself in Abram's place, it's almost a little bit overwhelming. And yet, how God led Abram is oftentimes how he chooses to lead us as his people. He comes to Abram, and I'm going to put it in a little conversation that try to, try to personalize it in a way that we don't have here. He comes to Abram, and he speaks to the Lord, speaks to Abram, and he says, Abram, leave. Go from your land, leave your family, leave your father's house, leave. Now, I'm thinking about this. I'm going, okay, where? Where am I going? You just said leave. He said, somewhere. Go to a place that I will show you. I would begin an argument right about then, right? Okay, Lord, show me where we're going to go so I know how to get there. But ultimately, the Lord's direction for Abram was just simply go and trust me. When he says, go to a place that I will show you, what he's asking Abram to do is go on a journey with him. Not go to a destination. Go, to a, go on a journey with the Lord himself. Do you hear the difference there? We want to know where we're going. We want to know how we're going to get there. We want to see the plan. We want to know exactly, 
okay, that's where I'm going, so now I can go A, B, C, D. I, I, when I, nowadays, when I plan out one of our camping trips, we usually have a destination in mind, and so I try to get, we have to reserve everything now. Since COVID, the world's gone camping crazy. You can't go anywhere without getting a reservation. Used to, we could pick up, take off, and just go somewhere. Uh, so now, okay, this year, Susan's been wanting to go back to the Rocky Mountains in Canada for our summer camping trip. And so, okay, we're going to get those reservations nailed down. Then we're going to figure out how we're going to get there. How many miles are there in between here and there? How many days are it going to take us to drive there? All that kind of stuff. That's what I want to do. Lord, tell me where we're going, and I'll figure out how to get there. The Lord tells Abram, walk with me, and I'll get you to where you need to go. Reminding me a little bit of Jesus in John chapter 14, when Jesus says to his disciples that he was about to leave, and he said, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you might be also. Thomas says, well, wait a minute, Lord, we don't know where you're going. If we don't know where you're going, how are we going to get there? And Jesus said, I am the way. Walk with me. Enter into a journey. Come alongside me, and I'll take you where you need to go. God, God's desire for every single one of us is to learn to walk with him by faith. I hold a premise that I believe has a biblical foundation that simply says God is, God is a whole lot more concerned about us choosing to seek him and walk with him than he is about the final destination at which we're going to arrive. I may make some mistakes along the way, but God's greater desire is that I walk with him. That's why we see that even in the Old Testament. Enoch walked with God. Where was we going? He, we don't know where he was going. We don't know what he did. We don't know what he accomplished. What we know is he walked with God. And because he walked with God, God just took him home. He didn't even die. He was in a relationship with God. God is calling Abraham to walk with him on a journey. And he's not giving him the full plan. I believe that that's what God desires for every single one of us. That requires an incredible amount of trust in him. Let's walk through this together. First, I want you to notice how God speaks to Abraham. And we've, we've started talking about that a little bit here. But there's, there's really seven I wills in this text. But six of them are in this text. One of them pops up in the next chapter. But I wanted to, wanted to mention it to you so we don't miss it. Six of them are right here in the first three verses. God says, I will show you a land, right? I will show you a land. Trust me, and I'll show you where the land is. Well, why don't you show me now? Trust me, and I'll get you there. Trust me, and I'll show you the land. I will make you a great nation. Well, God, how am I going to be a great nation? I'm my wife can't even have a child. Trust me, and I will make you a great nation. This is not what he's asking Abram to do. This is what God is promising he will do. I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. God is simply asking Abram to enter, with, enter the journey with him, and he'll be blessed. I will make your name great. Verse 2 there says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And I will make you, and you will be a blessing. So 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. So I'm, I'm going to bless your friends. I'm going to bless those who come alongside you. You're going to end up with, with friends and relationships around you because I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who treat you poorly. And then finally, when you get down to chapter 13, verse 15, when they actually passed through Canaan. Now, Abraham wasn't going to get to get to the promised land and get to stay there at this point. In Genesis 13, 15, so in the next chapter, as he passes through the promised land, God says, I will give this land to your descendants. So now he's showing him the land and he's promising him that his, sin, his descendants will eventually settle in that land. Well, at that point, the Canaanites were there. God wasn't ready to give him the land. Abram hadn't, his, his family wasn't large enough to possess the land. And God simply, at that point, moved him. And he eventually ended up down in Egypt. And, and if you read chapter 13, you'll see the, the furtherance of that story. But I want you to hear this because the covenant that God made with Abram was not dependent upon Abram. It was dependent upon God and his faithfulness. The covenant is wrapped up in these seven I will statements. I will show you the land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And I will give you this land or give your descendants this land. God has made a promise to Abraham and to his family that there's going to be a lineage that, that will settle in the land that we now today call Israel. Now, it took hundreds of years before that promise was ultimately fulfilled. And if you're following the, the reading through the Bible, uh, reading the Bible through a year plan that some of us are doing right now, we're just now, after the first three months of reading, we're getting to the book of Joshua where the Israelites come into the promised land and begin to take possession of the land that God promised Abraham hundreds of years before. But God keeps his promises. And it's dependent upon God and his power and his faithfulness. Abraham would never be strong enough to do what God said God alone could do. Hear that. Now, you and I aren't Abraham. God has not called you and I to enter into a covenant promise that is, you know, the Messiah is going to come from our lineage. So though we're not Abraham, I want you to hear this because God oftentimes calls you and I to do a task that we can't do on our own, that we can't do in our own strength, that it's only through walking with him that we're going to see that task accomplished. And it's dependent upon his power and his faith and his strength, his faithfulness and his strength, not dependent upon us and how good we are. We simply have to come to a place where we surrender and rely on him. We have to trust him and put our life in his hands. So that was Abraham's response we're going to see in a minute. Because what I want you also to see is, is just as surely as God will call you and desire to use you to accomplish, I'm going to use a word here that I think gets tossed around way too much. I'm going to be careful with it. As a young man, I always thought God wanted to do great things with me. And my definition of great things were different than God's definition of great things, okay? 
I thought maybe I'm going to pastor a giant church. I'm going to be very popular. You know, you know who, I'm going to make a lot of money. God, if I trust him, he's going to do great things for me. What does it mean to do great things? Uh, I'd propose to you that I cannot save a single soul. But if somehow, through my proclamation of the word of God, one person is moved from an eternal position of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light, God has done something great through me. And I have had the privilege of seeing that happen many times. That's enough. I tell you, I celebrate right now every time I see Kevin baptize somebody. <laughs> I love Kevin, and God is doing some incredible things, but I know that God somehow gave me a little part in that. God wants to do great things through you. He wants to use you to reach lost souls. He wants to use your story. He wants to use the story of your business or of your faithfulness or of your struggles. He wants to use you in your story to see someone else come to faith in him. God desires to do great things through you. And he promises us that when we're faithful, his Holy Spirit walking or, or living in us and, and, and living out through us, he'll accomplish more than we ever could on our own. Now, there's obstacles to that because Abram had plenty of obstacles in his life. We, the reason I wanted to read a little bit of the backstory is because you see one of the first obstacles. One of the obstacles that we're most aware of, how in the world is God going to fulfill this promise of, of building a nation out of Abram and Sarah when she's barren and she's old, okay? He was already 75 when you look back at the end of chapter 11. And God's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a great nation come out of your children. What do you mean? We don't even have a child. So the first obstacle they, they had or the first thing that, that Abram could say, and eventually he does, and he and Sarah both do at one point, we're too old. How many of you have thought that you've gotten to the point that your age prevented you from being used of God? Well, let me tell you, God will use both ends, of, uh, Satan will use both ends of that spectrum. Because when I was a young man, I would hear Satan whispering in my ear, you can't do anything great for God, you're too young. And now that I'm getting on the other end of that, I hear that whisper in my ear, well, you've got more days behind you than what you have ahead of you. And, you know, look, I'll have people come up and say, well, Pastor, you're not old. Look, I can do math. <laughs> right? And, and the chance of me living a healthy, fruitful life to the age of 112 is pretty slim. So the truth is, I have more days behind me than what I have in front of me. And the enemy will use that to say, you're too old. God can't do anything great through you. God can't use you for his purposes. You're past that. You're past your prime. And we, we will look to that as an excuse, whether we're too young, we're too old, I'm too busy, uh, my, the kids are in the house right now, maybe when the kids get out of the house, then I'll have more time and I can do more for God. We always have an excuse of why God can't use us and can't do something through us now. Let me tell you, you're never too old, you're never too young, you're never too middle-aged, there's never a place in your life 
where God cannot speak to you and use you because he'll empower you to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The second excuse that Abraham could have used is the task is too hard. It's imp- or in his case, it's impossible. Sarah is barren. How can we trust God to keep his promise when my wife can't even have a child? Remember, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And so you, ne- you can never use the excuse. If you know God's calling you to do something, you cannot use the excuse, it's too hard. Because if God has called you to something, he will equip you for the task. His whole, in, in John chapter 14 through 16, which is one of my favorite sections of Scripture, at the end of Jesus' life, all of those, the, those three chapters came from the, the end of Jesus' time at the upper room with his disciples and as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples are getting upset. They're getting worried about it. And Jesus tells them, he says, look, don't be worried. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you, and he's going to guide you, and he's going to empower you. So I believe that we today serve a God who desires to guide us, equip us, and empower us for the work of God in our life. It doesn't matter how young, how old, and it doesn't matter how impossible the task seems. Nothing is impossible for God. And if you'll walk with him through it, you'll get to see sometimes little reminders like I got to see Wednesday evening. You can call them God winks or whatever you want to call them, but I knew that, that there was no way that I could have planned for a solar panel salesman to show up at my house at that time. When I felt like this was something that was too expensive, it was beyond me, it's something that I can't do, but I've been praying about it and God answers, then what, 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 else, uh, what choice do I have? It may seem too hard, it may seem impossible, and sometimes it is too hard for you, and it is impossible for you in your own strength, but it's never impossible for God. Third obstacle that Abram ran into was himself, his own sin, okay? And you see it appear a couple times. Once is immediately after verse 9, where we quit reading, where Abram and Sarah have to go down to Egypt. And he goes down to Egypt, and he's worried because Sarah is beautiful. And he's worried that the Pharaoh or some wealthy Egyptian is going to look at Sarah and go, man, she's hot. I'm going to kill her husband so that I can have a relationship with her. Now, she was, must have been a smoking 65-year-old woman <laughs> because he, Abram, was worried about it, okay? And so Abram decides, well, I need to protect God. I need to help God out here a little bit because I, I can't, I mean, this is a mess. If they kill me, he can't fulfill his promise. And so I, I need to help God out. So we're going to lie, Sarah. We're just going to tell everybody you're my sister, right? And that way, if, if they think you're my sister, they won't kill me. Now, I look at that and I think, you got to be kidding me. Uh, first of all, Susan wouldn't have put up with that. But Abram doesn't just do that once. He does it twice. He does it in Egypt, and then he turns around, and he does it 
And he says the same thing to Abimelech. And God, in his power and in his sovereignty, provided for them and prevented them from, from having any disaster, even though Abram had sinned. So let me, let me couch this for you, because I think that there's sometimes when we're seeking to walk with God and we sin to such an extent that, that we just, we're just disqualified, okay? But that's pretty rare. More often than not, the God who called you to something, who's empowered you and promised you he's going to get you there, it's not that he just looks over the sin, but he will move you past the sin to accomplish his promises. And so even though Abraham, Abram sinned, God still overcame that obstacle to fulfill his purpose through Abram. So sometimes we want to use the excuse, well, I'm, I'm just too sinful. I've messed up too much. God can't use me anymore. Let me, let me tell you, your sin didn't surprise God. When he called you to the task, he's not surprised by the fact that you were going to sin. Your sin wouldn't surprise me. I've seen it all, I think, as a pastor. And if it didn't surprise me, it sure ain't going to surprise God. Third, or fourth here, sometimes we just try to come up with our own solutions. We're going to do it our way. Well, God doesn't seem to be moving quick enough. So Abraham decides, or Abram decides, that he's going to try to extend his lineage through Ishmael and through another son by another woman, Eliezer. 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 Both of those are Abram's attempts to do what he thinks God has failed to do for him. Now think about that for a moment. Do you really think that God needs your assistance to that level that he can't fulfill his purpose through you? That you're going to have to try to do it on your own? Ultimately, every step of the way, what God would desire is that you simply listen to him, walk with him, obey him, and he'll get you where you need to go. But Here's another obstacle, and these two obstacles, the, the, the sin of lying about who Sarah was and the sin of trying to take a different path from Abraham, neither one of those sins prevented God from accomplishing his purpose through Abram. Your sin is not going to surprise God, and if God is desired to use you to accomplish a purpose, it is not going to derail his purpose. And fifth, sometimes our pathway can just seem confusing and it seems like God has really messed up here. Now I'm going to step out of our text a little bit forward today because you know the story. Eventually, finally, Abram has a son. Son's name's Isaac and that son begins to, to grow into a young man and God looks at Abram and he says, all right, I want you to take your son up to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. What? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't go along with what you've told me you were going to do, Lord. Why in the world? That doesn't make any sense. And yet he does it. And I want you to notice something. By then, Abram has walked with God long enough that he trusts that God's going to work it out. And so he does what God's told him to do, even though it seems absolutely crazy. Abram's an old man. He can't even carry the wood. He has Isaac carry the wood. They're going up to the top of the mountain, and lugging the wood behind him, and, or, or on his shoulders. And, and Isaac asked, oh, Dad, we have the wood. I see that. 
Oh, where are we going to get sacrifice? Abram tells his son, God will provide the sacrifice. Now, all Abram knows at this point is Isaac gives the sacrifice. They get up there, he ties Isaac up, stacks him up on top of the wood, gets ready to sacrifice his son with a knife. And God provides a ram for the sacrifice and says, I wasn't really requiring your son of you, I was testing you. By that point, Abram had learned that even when God's way didn't make sense, God's way was still right. Sometimes the path that God puts before you seems nuts, seems crazy. But if you're walking in a relationship with the Lord and you're hearing his voice, his path is always right, even if it's confusing. So regardless of the obstacles in Abraham's life, some of those self-imposed obstacles, God is still able to fulfill his purpose when we walk with him. Abram's response to God, his first response to God was to leave. God said, leave. Leave your family, leave your land, leave. It was a, it was, he's a response of sacrifice to God's mission. He had to leave behind something before he could ever get to where God wanted him to go. You realize that oftentimes God, when he moves in your life and he speaks to you, he requires you to lay something down. Now, I, I struggled with the wording when I get to this point in a minute, how I'm going to sum it up, because I, I wanted to word it this way. I wanted to say, we lay aside our plans or we lay aside our stuff so that we can follow God. The problem with that is sometimes when we lay stuff aside, we, we lay it aside because we want to go pick it back up, right? Abraham didn't lay aside his land, his family, his relationships. He burned the bridge. He left. God said in chapter one, go, leave. Leave your land, leave your relatives, leave your father's house, leave. And Abraham left. The first response that you and I have to have when God calls is sacrifice what he's called us to set behind, what he's called us to leave. Second is to submit in response to his direction. Leave and go where I'll show you. Go to the land that I will show you. God doesn't give him the destination. God gives him direction. Sometimes God will give you a destination, but more often, even if he gives you a destination, that's probably not even the final destination. He's just leading you because he's got some place to take you. When I knew that I knew as a 16-year-old young man that God was calling me to the gospel ministry, when I knew that, all I knew was that he was calling me to step out in faith. I didn't know what that meant. So when I proposed to my wife two years later, yes, 18 years old at her senior prom, uh, I asked her, I said, Susan, you know God's called me to the ministry. If he leads us to, I mean, would, would you go with me to a dung hut in Africa if that's where God calls? Because I had no idea. I didn't know if God was calling me to the mission field. I didn't know if God was calling me, what he was calling me to do. But I knew that he had called me and all I could do was say yes. When God calls, the only appropriate response 
is submission to his leadership. Third, Abraham responded with confidence in God's provision. He claimed God's promise. He simply left everything behind, trusting that God was going to provide for him on the journey, not knowing how, not knowing where, trusting that God was going to provide. Fourth, he responded in obedience to God's instruction. So as God led him through the process, Abraham walked in obedience each step of the way. You see this in the fact that he left, that he took what he was supposed to take with him. When he got to where he was going, he stopped and built an altar. After he built an altar, he, God said, okay, you built an altar here. This is the land. This is a little bit further down in verse chapter 13. He said, this is the land that I'm going to give your descendants, but you ain't staying here. Get up and move over here. So Abraham built an altar, worshiped God there, and then he picked up and he moved again because God told him to move, and he built an altar there, and he worshiped God there. And then, because the famine, God led him down to Egypt. So what did Abraham do? He picked up, and he went where God was leading him. He trusted God every step of the way in obedience, going where God had called him to go. It would, it would have made more sense if God made this promise and said, this is the land where you're going to be. This is the land I'm going to give to your descendants. You would have think that he's wanting to build a home there and just stay there. I, in fact, that's probably one of the places where I would have argued with God. Well, wait a minute, God. You brought me to Canaan. You said, this is the land you're going to give to my descendants. Why are you moving me now? Why am I having to go to, to the desert? Why am I having to go to Egypt? And yet Abraham simply, or Abram at that point, simply went where God had called him to go in obedience. And then fifth, he responded in reverence. Every step of the way, Abram paused to worship God. He recognized the holiness and the power and the authority of the God who, was, who had called him and who was leading him, and he worshiped God. What's an appropriate response to God's call in our lives? Sacrifice in response to God's wisdom or his mission. Submit to his direction. Have confidence in his provision. Obey his instruction. Worship in response to his revelation when he shows us where to go. That's how Abraham responded to God's call. How ought you and I respond when God calls? How should we respond when God calls us to a task that seems overwhelming or impossible or difficult? I simply submit that we follow Abraham's example. We leave behind our plans. We submit to his direction. We trust in his provision. We obey his instruction, and we worship him in faith and reverence. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our worship. His understanding, his wisdom far exceeds our brains. And God can, can and will do what only he can do through you if you'll trust him. No questions asked when he calls. Now, that may simply mean that you're struggling with, with your, 
your walk with the Lord. And maybe you've never taken that step to trust him for your eternity. You need to trust him to, to uh, take care of you and provide a way for you for eternal life. Maybe you've never confessed Christ as your Savior. He is worthy of your trust. But I suspect that because of the direction the Lord's led with this text today and where he's led in the preaching of his word, that there's some of you right here, some of you that are already Christians, you've already said, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go where he tells me to go. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. But there's something in your life that you're struggling to trust him with. Maybe he's called you to something and at this point you're saying, nah, I, ain't, I ain't going there. You'll never see God accomplish what he desires to accomplish in your life if you're disobedient and say no when he calls. When he calls, when he speaks, we can trust him. It may require us to sacrifice our plans and submit to him and his direction. But it's only when we do that that we're going to see God fulfill his purposes in our lives and our family. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.